Principal Matters Podcast, episode 237. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about tips for the interview process with my guest and co-host, Jen Schwanke. Jen Schwanke is the principal of Indian Run Elementary and the author of two great books for principals. Jen Schwanke, welcome back to Principal Matters. You know, several weeks ago, you and I talked about the interview process and some of the lessons that we have learned in the hundreds of people that have come across through our offices for interviews. And sometimes I, I, I sat down one time and I tried to count like the number of people I've actually interviewed over time. And I can't, it's just, it's like a blur, um, the number of people that I've sat across from. But one of the things that happens when you do something a lot is you begin to identify what works and what doesn't work. And then the harder thing is placing yourself on the other side of that and asking yourself what works for me because there, we have a lot of listeners that this time of the year are looking at potential opportunities and maybe they're getting a chance to get an interview or maybe they're looking at that new position um, or maybe they're, they've been asked to advance to something new. And so they may be sitting across from someone soon or sitting across from a committee soon. And so if you're listening to this as a practicing principal or an assistant principal, or maybe you're an aspiring leader, you know, you've been on that other side before, um, but placing yourself in that hot seat can be pretty overwhelming and so, Jen, I would love to just unpack some additional thoughts on ideas that people can keep in mind when they're interviewing, but also uh, reflect on some questions that have come to us um, from listeners, too. Right. It's, it's interview season. It's um, the open market right now. And many people have waited for this time of year so that they can show what they do well and hopefully land where, where they feel is a good fit. And if, if it's okay, well, I'd like to just talk about that. A question I get a lot from principals or aspiring principals is how do I know if a future opening is the right fit? And I want to land there because um, it reminds me of a podcast I listened to years ago. And I, I'm sorry, I don't have the reference that, you know, the exact date and time. I think it was a This American Life episode. And they said that, you know, human beings are really interesting. We will spend so much time deciding what we're going to cook for dinner, but we got, we make the three biggest decisions of our lives based solely on gut. And that would be where we go to college, the mate that we choose to live with, you know, our, our spouse, our partner, whatever, and our jobs, you know, and, and I laughed out loud when I heard it because I decided where I was going to college because the, the, there was a beautiful building with trees in front of it that I thought were gorgeous. And I remember saying to my parents, well, it's a really pretty campus. And my parents were like, well, yeah, that sounds good. And I went to, you know, I spent years of my life there <laughs> and it turned out to be a terrible fit. As a matter of fact, I graduated early because I, I wanted to get out of there, but I based that decision on a tree and a, and a beautiful building. And we do that too with our, with our partner, or our spouse, you know, it, you know, it seems it's my gut. My gut tells me this is the right fit. And then often we do that with our career too. We're in college or graduate school and, and the, the career counselor is saying, well, what do you want to do? And we say, I don't know, I guess I could, I don't know, be a, be a teacher. And then there you are. So 
here we are again, maybe a little bit later in our careers, and we're trying to find a right fit. And often we just go with our gut or we go with where the opening is. And, and, and I think we should challenge that a little bit. I think we should give ourselves permission to say, well, wait a minute, what are the components of fit for me? Oh my gosh, Jen, you're making me laugh. I'm muting, <laughs> I'm muting through all my laughter. That's just so true. And, um, you know, when I think back to the time that I transitioned, you know, when I was went from the teacher to assistant principal, I was just so eager and happy to get an opportunity. Um, but through that experience, you begin to you begin to ask yourself that question: Was is this the right fit? And later, I had an opportunity to was invited to look at, a, at another opportunity, a, another assistant principal. It was a lateral move, but um, but I had enough experienced by that point to ask myself the question that you're saying right there, would this be the right fit? And it was the first time in my career that I decided to be the student instead of just jumping at something to really take some time to study it. And um, I remember I, I asked for a, a, a personal day off. I took an entire day. I asked for permission to come to that school. I asked for permission to walk that school, to, to just step in classrooms. I asked permission to to listen to conversations. And I sat down with the principal of that school and just had some long, hard conversations about what are the challenges here? What are the opportunities here? Because I wanted to make sure that if I was going to not just move myself, but my family, you know, if I was going to make a decision here that was going to possibly affect the rest of my life or my career, that it was one that I studied and that I knew that this would be a good fit. And I know not everybody has the opportunity to do that, but I'm so glad I did in that case, because that was the next 10 years of my life, Jen, right. you know, was that, that fit. And that fit is what really opened up the opportunities for everything I've been doing since then. And, and the fact that both of my older daughters graduated from that school. And so, but I, I'm so glad that instead of just responding with the gut, um, or just taking the chance like I had in so many other opportunities at this time, I really slowed down and I studied it to see if, 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 is this the right fit? It should be a scientific process. It really should will. And I love how you outline specific steps you took for this decision. That's, that's a level of maturity that I know for me, it took me years to get to that. I have the right to be scientific with my own decisions and my own life. I have the right to say, wait, I need to come and spend a day here. And I think what you also did there, Will, is you, you know, the principal was probably doing some heavy duty recruiting and salesmanship with his building, but you have, you saw through that and you were listening for how things felt and how people talked to one another and if that would be a good fit for your family. So you have to also see through the marketing sales pitch of, of where you're going, because, you know, everybody wants good people to come work for them, right? But you, you have to look further and see about that fit. That this, I'm using the term scientific very loosely, obviously, because we're not researching or, or um, crunching numbers, but it, it shouldn't just be, well, it sounds like, you know, the, 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 the sign welcome me to, wel welcoming me to town was really pretty. That can't be a reason to take a career move. And, and it takes a level of maturity that I think all of our principal friends are capable of. You just have to search for it. I agree. And here's the, here's another lesson I think that's important for leaders to think about when it comes to fit too, because when I walked through that process, that principle was clear with me and honest with me about the opportunities, but also about the weaknesses that existed and some of the potential pitfalls. And all of those things proved true. All of those things proved true. So th there is no such thing as a perfect place. And that's, that's the point I want to make here, Jen, is that 
fit does not mean perfection. If you think you have found a perfect fit, you are wrong because there is no such thing as a perfect place. Every school, every organization, every relationship has both its positives and its negatives. And so you have to go in it with eyes wide open. So even though I found what I feel like was the right fit, it didn't mean that it was the perfect fit because exactly. because that meant for the next 10 years, I had just as many struggles as I had joys. I mean, it wasn't like this was just bliss moving forward because I had done all this homework. What it meant was I knew what I was stepping into and I was prepared for that. And I heard you say that the, the principal was very open and honest with you about weaknesses. That to me would be a huge selling point. If he was telling you everything was all unicorns and rainbows, that's a red flag because as you said, that's never true. And so the fact that he was honest indicated that he's a gentleman you could work for and, and trust that he's going to be honest and tell you the hard things, even if it reflects on him, you know, less favorably on him. Another question that I would challenge our listeners is if they're really struggling and they're almost in the place of paralysis by analysis, maybe they, they unpack what's the worst thing that happens if I think it's the right fit, but it's not. Usually the worst thing is not that bad. You can always learn something, take something away from it. I've had a couple of friends who have made a jump to a role that was not a right fit, but later with retrospect, they said, wow, did I learn from that? I was challenged in ways that did not feel comfortable and that made it a not, not a good fit, but discomfort leads to growth, of course. And so there's, there is usually you can get out of a situation that isn't the right fit for you, but you'll come out of it a better leader in a lot of ways. Mm, that's good reflection. And I think that it's helpful to remember too, Jen, that um, I don't know how to say this concisely, but I, I have seen leaders who have been able to reinvent themselves several different times. And, right. and, that, and, and by saying that, I don't mean that in any way that's critical. I actually say that in a way that is um, with compliment. I've seen leaders who have realized that that maybe they're in the wrong fit. And so they needed to just pivot and look for that next thing. And so from the outside, it may look like they that they're admitting failure or that they're taking a step down or that it, it's a lateral move, not a move up. And so therefore it must not be equal success. But really what, what I've admired about those leaders is the maturity that they've had in realizing that I can't keep doing this to my family or I can't keep doing this to my own, to my own, to myself. And so I need to look for that next opportunity. That's going to be better for me and my family, even if to others, it looks like I'm doing something lateral or, or taking a step down. Cause I have had friends several years ago. I had a friend who was leading one of the largest schools in this area, a large high school. And he, um, was really struggling with time with his family. And there was an opening at a smaller school in the district for an assistant principal. And he applied for it to the surprise of his district. But he explained to them that I know this will be, and I'm just going to be, I'll, I'll just say what he told me without divulging names. But he said, I, I told them, I know this will be a, a, a reduction in my pay. Um, and I know that it's going to be a step down in terms of the ladder up. But I only have a few years left with my with my children, um, and I just know that I'm going to be able to devote more time as a leader to 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 this work and in this job and my family, and I'll I think I'll be a better principal because of it. And and here's the thing he didn't know. Um, fast forward six months later, and he was diagnosed with cancer, and had to begin treatments and all kinds of 
um, medical care that he has since survived. But being in that assistant principal role in a place where he had fewer responsibilities in a smaller school gave him the space for care and recovery that he wouldn't have had otherwise. Now, Jen, there's no way he could have known any of that, but because he was making the, because he was basing his decisions on his career, family life, on those important priorities, um, that was a really important pivot down for him so that he ended up in a much better place. Well, and, and I love that story. It takes such bravery because there is judgment that comes when you take a step down. And I want to put air quotes around down because we're assuming this is a ladder and there's only one way up, right? But for him, his, his step you know, down on the organizational chart was a step up for his life and his family and the people he loves the most and his health too. And so sometimes a step down is actually a huge leap up I think we sometimes get so caught up in what the organizational chart looks like. And and that's just a bad, bad, bad idea, especially if, you know, with the lens looking back on a career, you don't necessarily just take one rung at a time. There are definitely jumps down and jumps back up. I agree. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the feedback that we're getting from listeners, because recently we had a, a listener who reached out to us who I think probably represents a lot of other folks that are in the principalship. She, this listener has, and I'm not going to say names because we didn't ask permission to, but I do want to share the story. This is a person who has been an assistant principal for several years and has had lots of interviews, um, has been brought in, you know, for that second round several times, but just hasn't found that spot. And is kind of at that point of struggle. Um, And the question that she had is, when is it time to just stop and find peace in my current reality? And I thought that's a really honest question, Jen. You know, when do you keep going or when do you stop? I I think it's wonderful that she has the courage to ask that because by asking it, she's acknowledging that there is a time to stop. And that's okay. A friend of mine, Mr. Mills, he really badly wanted to be a principal and he interviewed for five years and he kept, you know, getting in the top three and then not getting the position. And every single time it was a huge punch to his ego. And he walked around bruised for a long time. And then he said to me, wait a minute, what am I doing? I, I will take a cut in pay. He was so high on the teacher scale. He would take a cut in pay to be an administrator and work many, many more days. And he found peace that his current reality was better for his family and for himself and for the hours that he, at that point in his life, wanted to work. And so it goes back to the story we just told about your friend. Sometimes there, it is best, especially if you're not finding validation or success or a a place where you feel that you would be valued. If you're not finding that, but you do have that in your current role, I think it's perfectly okay to say, well, wait a minute, let's, let's find peace here by looking elsewhere in our professional life to see what else we could do to give back to this profession. It doesn't necessarily have to be a job where you have the main office and a master key. I agree. And it's something I would say to that too, Jen. It's just so true that sometimes you don't end up in that position that you dreamed would be what you trained for. There's, we all know that. I mean, some people do. Sometimes there's, there's just the stars all align and people just follow that path that they think they're going to be on. And then other times you feel like 
there's just not the opportunity or the right fit, or maybe you live in the wrong place, or maybe there's just not enough openings uh, and you're not willing to move. And so I think the question that I, I had to ask myself years ago when I was an assistant principal and I was beginning to get restless for that principal opening, and I began looking and um, had opportunities for interviews, but was not being offered the position and and wasn't sure when it was going to happen. This was That was when I... Um, and you know my story, Jen, So, yeah. but I'll just repeat it for listeners. But that's when I started blogging, and that's when I started writing, and that's when I started reaching out and, and volunteering to teach other aspiring leaders about what it's like to be an assistant principal because there were some things I was aching to do. And so I just began to ask myself, what can I do right now to pr- – to practice the things that I want to do. So in other words, one of the reasons I think I was really wanting to move from AP to principal was one, I was getting really tired of being the primary person in charge of discipline, but also, <laughs> I, I, but, but I also knew that as a principal, I would have an opportunity to do a little bit more with instructional effectiveness or even with, with uh, leadership development, those kinds of things. And so I, I began to figure out ways I could just go ahead and do it now, instead right. of waiting for that position, how can I begin to do it now and and practice the things that that were the parts of the of that next position that I that that I wanted to be able to exercise. And so, I don't know how to make that fit for everyone else listening out there. But I do want to just challenge listeners right now. If there's something that you've been wishing you could do more of, and that next position looks like that thing that you could do more of, don't wait for the position to do that. Um, you could do that in with a group of students. You can possibly do that by reaching out to a university to work with, with teachers that are, that are interning to be, to come into the classroom. So listeners, I just want to encourage you to, as you're, as you are hitting that wall of, should I just give up? Um, maybe the give up is the, I don't know. That's going to, that's different for every single person, but I do know this, that you don't have to wait for that position to do some of the things that you're longing to do. You don't have to wait. Exactly. And I think it's, it's a, interesting process to look inward and see what you really, really want. Um, Sometimes it's society's pressure that tells us we have to go up higher. And then people will say that to a a principal or an assistant or a teacher too, you know, when are you going to be a principal? Because the assumption is that's the next step up. My husband is an athletic director, as you know, Will, and he really, really loves his work. And many people have assumed that he wants to move up to be a high school athletic director as opposed to a middle school one. And he thought about that and he almost got through to an interview process. And then he realized, wait a minute, I love the middle school world because my philosophy aligns there where every kid plays and every kid makes the team and there's opportunities for every student. Whereas at the high school level, a lot of times it's more about winning and students are cut and the the competitiveness is a level that can be uncomfortable for people like my husband. And so he thought, I have the best job in the world. Why do I have to get on a ladder somebody else made for me? I can, I can be right here and do incredible work for the age group to which I'm passionate about. And so all of that needs to kind of be wrapped up into the self-conversation you have. You know, it's, it's a looking at time, at money, at commitment, at the philosophy of the age level. And, and then, like you said, well, looking at what else there is in your professional life. In my uh, book, The Principal Re- Reboot, I literally have a page there of a list of things that colleagues of mine have done to to enhance and bolster their professional life while staying in the exact same job. Adjunct professor, writing, presenting, coaching, you know, there are opportunities and sometimes you have to create them yourself. 
well, you, you built a podcast, you built a blog, you wrote books and, and you did that on your own. Nobody came to you and said, here's the, here's the microphone and here's the computer figured out or you did figure it out on your own. Nobody did that for you. And, and you did it by recognizing what would make you a, a better professional. That's so good, Jen. It, it just reminds me too, um, Rick DeFore's book in Praise of the American Educator, he unpacks some research in there that I thought was super helpful. And I don't have the book in front of me, so I'm going to misquote all of this. But, you know, when it, so I can't remember which Scandinavian country that he unpacked, but in um, but he was unpacking how often in the U.S. we look toward Scandinavian countries that have really high teacher success and job satisfaction rates. And he was explaining that in their teacher preparation programs, they will, first of all, um, when someone applies to become a teacher, they will make them go through a process to see that they not only have the intellectual acumen, you know, the, the scholastic ability to do it, but that they have a personality that fits instruction with kids. But once a person is entered into teacher prep programs um, in, uh, in, the, in the Scandinavian, I think it was Norway, in the Scandinavian country that he was identifying, they're actually asked to pick one of three tracks for their professional career, that they're either going to be a teacher who becomes a master teacher at some point so that they can instruct and help other teachers. They're either going to be a teacher who becomes a researcher so that they can find best practices and research to bring back to the profession to make it better. Or they're going to be a teacher who becomes an instructional leader as a building leader, a principal. And I thought when I read that research, and that application, I just thought, what a wise perspective to have for every person stepping into this profession. That as they're stepping in, they're already beginning to think about 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, because you and I both know we have so many colleagues that get that 5, 10, 15 year, and either they leave the profession or they feel stuck in the profession. And then they're just wrestling with, you know, I don't really want to be a principal or maybe I do want to be a principal. And why is it that those are the only, you know, stairwells that we seem to have in this profession? They don't need to be. There's so many different ways that you can exercise those gifts and strengths that you have. And it doesn't always mean being a principal. Exactly. And, and I think that there, we, we talked about this in a previous episode, you know, you have to find your own joy, whatever that joy looks like. And, and again, in the previous episode, we talked, we broke down that word a little bit <laughs> because joy doesn't always mean you skip to work, but it does mean that you're fulfilled and that you're doing, you're doing what you set out to do for young people. Um, and well, if it's okay, I'd like to talk too about a question we got from a listener who said she was frustrated by the process. And I, I so empathize with this. Our, our listener said that she felt it wasn't, she didn't use the word not fair, but she felt like they didn't really see her for who she was. And she wanted them to see her at work and be able to show how she interacts with students and teachers. And she was frustrated because she was sitting down at committee interviews and they, they didn't really know her. And, oh boy, do I empathize because I, I, for one, feel like I'm my best when I'm in my groove, you know, and I know my people and I know what our processes and protocols are and nobody can see that part of me in an interview. There's just no way. And what helps me in that, when I get to that frustration point, really about anything, but might, might help your listeners too about interviewing is literally make a list 
most of what you can control and what you cannot. Because if you're going into an interview with the district and they have an uh, interview system that doesn't feel right, there is nothing you're going to do ever to change that. It is what it is. And all you can do is your best. <laughs> Such a cliche, but it's so true. Now, there are things you can control. And to list those things and live in that column of your, of your um, list it is the that is the way that you won't get to that point of frustration where you feel like nobody's going to give you a chance. I agree. And and that reminds me of some things that I think you said the last time we talked about interviewing Jen, which was to think outside the box in terms of the way that you present yourself, because you made me laugh when you talked about the fact that, you know, some people are still teaching uh, interview candidates to make these big folder portfolios yes. <laughs> that no one's going to read. And your your response to that was, think about that in the 21st century. What kind of digital presidents might you have? So in other words, if you're stuck in a process that seems limited, where people really don't get to know you except what you're doing in that interview, well, point them to who you are outside of that interview. And maybe that's your website, or maybe that's your social media feeds. But if you're if you're consistently capturing moments in the field, of what's going on with kids or what's going on in your community or the way that you think, then figure out a way to showcase that. And, and, and don't just, don't just experience it, share it. And, and, and that serves two purposes. One, it's a way for you to reflect on your own growth and to catalog and to record those experiences so that you can learn from them. And two, it provides other people with a peek into that world that's not just what they see when they're face to face with you. And it shows the interview committee or whoever you're talking to that you will do things differently to get your point across. One of my most beloved colleagues told about an interview he went in and he said to them, I know my answers are going to be exactly the same as many other candidates. So I'd like to show you something. And he reached in his bag and he pulled out a large iPad and he said, I'd like to show you a, a new show that we did at my school. And I just think it will give you kind of an idea of who I am. And he pushed play. And the guts it took to not just give a canned answer to all the canned questions is, is so, it's enormous to me. And I, you know what, he wasn't even in his car before they called him and that's said, please right. come back, please come back. Uh, so to right. be courageous. Yes. Yeah. And I'll give you another example um, because I do some coaching with folks that are looking at principal options and listeners, if, if, you know, Jen and I are limited in the time that we have, but if you are interested in ever reaching out to either of us for some one-on-one -on -one coaching or some some additional training, you're certainly welcome to do that through my website or Jen's website, which is jenschwanky.com and mine is williamdparker.com. But but um, so Jen, I'm just going to give some free advice to everyone listening out there. But I was with a candidate recently who's so talented, but I asked her, um, where can I see your talent? And what, and what I realized when I was looking at her social media feeds is that they had been dormant for a long time. And I said, so before we meet again, I want to see at least three posts of great things happening in your school. I want to see, so I want to see it on Twitter. I want to see your LinkedIn page updated. And then I want you to share those links with me. And you know what happened the next time that we got together and she shared those links and I opened them up, I saw I saw perspectives of her leadership I would have never known. Exactly. So she's having those experiences. Her kids are doing amazing things. She's working hard every single day, but I got to see it. Exactly. And if I was sitting on a committee and I went to look her up and I had seen those posts right before the interview, I'd be like, hey guys, this is this one's a rock star. Exactly. We better pay, we better pay attention to, to this one. So you may be out there having practices that are 
wonderful experiences that your teachers or students or community is experiencing. But if you're not sharing it out, then they don't know it. They don't know. And I had a, another principal reach out to me and she said, I know I'm awkward in interviews. I know I am. She said, I'm awkward always. I'm awkward on a first date. I'm awkward when I go to a parent teacher conference with my kids. And I said, okay, so how can you show them that you're not an awkward person, that you really can find a place where your personality comes out. And again, we looked at her social media accounts and, you know, she had some videos on there of some fun things she had done with her students and so on. So you can, you can hone in on your weakness that's going to be revealed in an interview and find a way to overcome it. it. It can be done. And, you know, with technology, we have so many creative ways that we can do that now and show who we really are. Well, I do want to tell a success story because I was working okay. with the, I was working with a, a, an administrator recently who was trying to step up in her district. And we did some one-on-one coaching. And one of the things that I walked her through was just practicing opening and closings. You know, when you're asked that first question, tell us a little bit about your professional experience. And we actually rehearsed, rehearsed those parts together until it got to feel natural. And even though it sounds so weird to rehearse, it was beautiful to watch her go from just trying to explain the the list of things that she had done in the past to turning it into a story where I was inspired by her introduction and her conclusions of those conversations. Uh, and she just reached out to me recently and was given the opportunity for that next step um, in her in her process. And this was, you know, this isn't the first time she's tried this same opportunity. And I'm not saying that's a result of the coaching or our conversations, but she walked into that experience with a new perspective on herself. She walked into the, and, and I think it's so important for all of us to just turn the camera on ourselves sometimes and, 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 and don't be afraid to to rehearse those moments before you step into them. We would never, if we were actresses or actors, we would never go into an audition without practicing or doing, I mean, think of a singer who does mouth exercises and and really stretches the vocal cords. And the same holds true for people who want to get a, a principal job. We would, we really need to practice and say these words out loud. I have gone into interviews before and they did not end well, where I thought if I'm good enough, I can do this without practice because it will be natural. It will be a good fit. No, 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 no. I needed to think of some questions they might ask me and and articulate out loud, even if it's to an empty room, what I would say in response to those questions. And it does feel funny. Who likes to just stand there and look at themselves answering questions about themselves? It's not fun, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely something that we, you know, it's it we deserve to give that to ourselves so that we go in feeling strong and articulate and eloquent and really, really well-versed in what this job is going to be. That's such a great reminder. I'll just add one other thought, Jen, while it's in my brain, but you know, whether you personal matters listeners, you may not even be looking for another position, but let me just apply this to your work in general, because you're going to have hard conversations that are going to be coming up, especially in the spring with some teachers who may need to improve, or maybe with difficult conversations with parents or maybe difficult student conversations. And Jen, even in the work that I do now, there's sometimes where I still have to have difficult conversations with people. And I, I, I've practiced this before and I continue to practice this. If I'm getting ready to step into what I know is going to be something hard to say to someone, I will shut the office of my, the door of my office. I'll get on the other side of my desk and sit there and pretend I'm having a conversation with someone. I'll actually say the words that I'm getting ready to say to them so that I can hear it come out of my mouth and I'll hear myself stumbling and I'll hear all those things that, that, that I want to say, but I'm not really saying until I get it right. 
And right. then, so, th- so that the first time I'm saying it isn't when I'm in that moment exactly. and I'm stressed out because so, so I know that sounds so weird. It's but wise. It it's not, it's but not it weird. It's wise. Yes. Yeah. And, and you could talk on your way to work, you know, with no one else in the car, but it helps you not seem like you're bumbling and uncertain. It helps you feel confident and, and come off that way. So you might feel like a big fat dork when you're doing it, but you're not, you're being smart. Well, Principal Matters listeners, I hope this conversation has been helpful for you. I know that whether it has or not, it's always helpful for me, Jen, to sit in the room and just reflect with you on ways that we can keep growing as leaders. And if you're looking for a position, if you're looking for that next thing, um, be encouraged because you're doing great work now, which is why you are an educator, why you're already trusted with the position that you have. And so learn to celebrate the great things that are happening, capture those moments, share those moments with others. Um, you are obviously welcome to reach out to either Jen or me with additional questions, or if you ever want our resources or trainings, you can certainly find us. Jen, I already mentioned your website earlier, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to let people know what's coming up with you and how they can stay connected. Yep. You can always find me at jenchwonkiki.com or find me on Twitter. Or I'm out there. Well, Principal Matters listeners, thank you for the work that you do because what you do matters. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. You can find other free resources like this one at williamdparker.com.